Well, hey, if you brought your Bible this morning, let's transition to the Scriptures. If you have your Bible in hand, you can open to John chapter 6. All of our Scripture this morning will also be on the screen behind me. And if you happen to need a Bible this morning, feel free to grab one at the welcome table and feel free to keep it as your own. Um, Let me open us again in a brief word of prayer as we look to the Scriptures this morning. Father, we humble ourselves before the very Word of God. We thank you that it is true. We thank you that it is filled with grace. We thank you that it is filled with your love and your promises. So, Father, open our hearts and minds to receive, to hear, to listen, to see, and to believe this morning. We thank you for your grace. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is Christmas time, and at Christmas time, we celebrate that Jesus, the one and only Son of God, came down to us, right? Came to earth to save his people. The official word that we use to describe that moment is the incarnation, that Jesus, who is God, who is fully God, came down, took on human flesh, was born in a a stable, another kind of a a farm barn structure, and that he was laid in a manger, which is literally a feeding trough for animals, that he came in humility. In the book of John that we have been walking through most of this year, Jesus, as an adult, when he begins his ministry and begins to teach, says some incredibly important things through the book of John that bring us tremendous comfort and joy during specifically this Christmas season. And the phrase that Jesus comes back to over and over again, in fact, seven specific times, is, I am. And when he says, I am, he means something very important, very specific. In other words, who is Lord over the world? Jesus says, I am. Who is the one who can help you? Jesus says, I am. Who is the one that can give you real life and lasting hope and answers to your deepest questions and provide for all of your needs, but most of all your spiritual deep down needs? Jesus says, I am. In a world gone crazy, The scripture reminds us to hold on to Jesus, who is I am. And the power behind that phrase is that God himself, God the Father, at the very beginning uses that same phrase to describe himself. It shows up first in Exodus chapter 3, that moment when Moses hears the voice of God in a burning bush and God, or rather Moses asks who he is speaking with and who he should say is speaking and God in the bush says, I am. Or I am that I am. It was the name Yahweh that in the Jewish Old Testament was so holy that they would not even speak it. They wouldn't write it. They would just abbreviate it because they recognized that they were speaking the name of God. And so when Jesus says it over and over again, seven times specifically, he's telling us something really important. He's telling us that the good news of Christmas is that Jesus is God and that Jesus has come. So let's look to the scripture now. This morning we're going to begin in verse 26, and I'm going to read all the way through verse 35, again in John chapter 6. Here now, this first promise, this first I am promise of Jesus. Verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. 
for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat, referring again to a time with Moses in the Old Testament. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Five applications this morning from God's word as we begin to celebrate Christmas this year together. And number one we see right off the bat in this text here is the hunger. All of humanity needs Jesus, the bread of life. All of us. Every single one of us. We need God today. We need God for 2020. We need Jesus, the Son of God and the Savior of sinners. Um, I've been watching a, a new TV show here lately this last two weeks or so. It's called Survivor. Anybody ever heard of it before? It's brand new. I th- no, it's like the 40th season. Um, I've never really watched it, so it was new to me. But the thing that stuck out to me among many of the interesting aspects of Survivor, as I'm sure you are well aware, it is a whole bunch of people They go to a desert island, and they have to survive the competition and just the nature of being on the island. But above all, what struck me is that these people are incredibly hungry. They have to figure out their own food for the most part. And so over the course of their 39 days on the island, these people lose 20, 30, 35 pounds. And so the ending person at day 39 looks very different than the person in day one. They are starving. They are hungry. They are gaunt. They are in need of bread. We, as humanity, find ourselves in the exact same situation. You know, in the Old Testament, the prophet Amos spoke of a day where there would be hunger, where there would be famine or or a lack of bread, a lack of food. But the interesting thing about his famine, his prophecy, is that it was not one in which there was no bread or water. It was not a lack of food. It was a, a lack of the bread of life. He prophesied a time where there would be a lack of God's word. Listen to Amos chapter 8. This is verses 11 and 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. This is a terrible prophecy, isn't it? This is an awful moment that Amos is is prophesying, and he's pointing to various moments in the Old Testament life of the church, Old Testament, but we can certainly apply the reality to what we see right now in our own day and time. 
People are hungry for the Word of God because people have lost sight of the Word of God. Yes, it is a difficult time, but I believe even this year what we are seeing is the results of a generational rejection of Jesus, the bread of life, the great I am. We live in the New Testament era, and yet the realities are the same, that there are men and women and children who will refuse to come and would rather remain hungry, who will refuse to believe and who are experiencing a spiritual famine, and yet Jesus says, I am the bread of life. There's a hunger. But number two, the mistake. And Jesus begins to walk the crowds through this. The mistake, to put it positively, an instruction for us, don't pass on the food that endures to eternal life. Don't pass on the food that endures to eternal life. Look at John 6, 26, our first verse in this passage. Jesus answered them, the crowds, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. The crowds went after Jesus for the wrong reasons. If you've been with us for the last several weeks, our last couple of sermons, we're looking at those two stories when Jesus literally physically feeds 5,000 people who are hungry. And then Jesus literally walks on water. And the crowds, we are told, saw and experienced all of these events. And as a result, they are interested in Jesus and they continue to chase him down and literally will not give him and the disciples a moment to be free. But what they are interested in is the show. What they are interested in is physical stuff. The crowds pursued Jesus because they were interested in the material things of life. Right? They liked getting bread and fish from Jesus. They liked seeing him walk on water, but they failed to take their own step of faith to believe that Jesus could save them spiritually, that Jesus could answer their deepest hungers in life. They were far less interested in meeting the Messiah, but are much more interested, and we see this clearly here, in manipulating Jesus. Manipulating Jesus to get the stuff that they wanted. They said they would not believe unless they saw Jesus give a sign. And if you really stop and think about this conversation, it should absolutely blow our minds. What do you mean a sign? You just saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with a couple pieces of bread and a few fish. You just saw Jesus walk on water. You have heard him teach, and yet in their audacity and in their blindness, they say, Jesus, give us a sign. They don't see Notice that the issue is not Jesus' lack of miracles. It's not a lack of signs. It's not even a lack of teaching. The issue is that they don't want a Savior who is Lord. And Jesus immediately goes to the heart of the matter, doesn't he? He goes to the spiritual issue that is going on here. Um, Like most of you all in our house, we have a pantry. Um, We have learned about our pantry this year. It's a big, it's a beautiful pantry. We love it. It's always filled with food. Um, And I'm not trying to embarrass my wife, by the way. We discovered... Uh, that if you leave potatoes in the pantry for more than three months, they don't smell good. Right? There was this moment we came out in the morning to the kitchen. We're like, what is that? That is the most vile, violent smell ever. 
And we searched, we couldn't find it for a while until finally we found the culprit. It was that potato on the bottom there in the back corner that had begun to grow and had begun to share with us its beautiful smells. It is a perfect reality of all things physical bread, all things in this life, all material possessions. Over time, they will not last. They will inevitably spoil. And Jesus wants them to understand that while he did feed them physically with bread, and that matters, he also has come, more importantly, to meet their spiritual needs, things that will last for forever. And so he teaches them in this moment because they come with some facts that are not really straight. And so he speaks to their inaccurate understanding of the Old Testament, and he gives them a couple of things to hang their hat on. First, he says, Moses did not give manna, okay? God gave manna. God did the miracle, not Moses the man. And if you remember, manna was literal bread coming down from heaven in the Old Testament where God provided for and fed his people who were in need. But Jesus says, secondly, the manna was not ultimately the true bread from heaven. It came from the sky, it came from God, but there is more. There is a deeper, more powerful, more eternal fulfillment that is coming, and Jesus says, that is me. I am the true bread, the eternal bread that comes literally from heaven to satisfy the hunger of your soul. And so this is the first of Jesus' seven I am statements. He begins with, I am the bread of life. He will tell us next week, I am the light of the world. Following that, I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. All in the book of John, these seven statements and truths. But third comes the message. Jesus wants to be very clear with them. And so he gives a message, and he says essentially this, the work of God is to simply believe in Jesus. They are listening, they're interested, and and Jesus is teaching them. Look at verses 27 through 29 now. Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal." Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Let me explain to everyone very clearly what is the fundamental difference between Christianity and every other religion on the planet, between Christianity and every other system of beliefs or worldview, including atheism. There's Christianity and there is everything else because the world and all of its systems begin with this same question. What must we do? What must I do to get up to God? How can I do it? What must I do, whether it be through my good works or through my education or through my religious rituals or through my power, performance, purity, persuasion to get up to God? See, we are conceived, says the scripture, in self-righteousness and in the delusion that we can somehow take care of the issue ourselves. Every religion, every worldview except Christianity is built on that assumption. And that is the biggest stumbling block, I think, to believing the gospel is to honestly accept that you can't do it yourself. You need Jesus. It's not about what you can do. Hear me. It's not about what you can do. It is about what Jesus has already done. 
is what He has already done only in Christianity. And we celebrate this at Christmas, right? Does Jesus Himself, God, comes down to us, the King put on flesh to come down and to save us. He was born of a virgin, born in a stable to dwell among us. Jesus comes down. It's not about you earning your way up to God. It's about Jesus, the great I am, who came down to save us. Look at John six thirty eight. Jesus tells them exactly this. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. God the Father sent me to come down. Jesus has done the work, right? We're using the language here also of work. Jesus has done the work on your behalf that you could not and you would not do yourself. Are you tired, like I am, of years of trying to do it yourself, of trying to be good enough, of trying to not make mistakes, of feeling the weight of the shame of sins that you don't want anybody else to know about, of knowing I've tried and it does not work on my own, Jesus says, come to me, because it's grace. It's a free gift, and you receive it by, Jesus says, believing. The work is what Jesus has accomplished, and receive it by believing. Believe, he says, in the one whom the Father has sent, Jesus. Listen to Philippians 2. It tells us exactly what we are to believe about Jesus then. This is about Jesus beginning in verse 6. Who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." What is he saying? saying, believe that Jesus is the great I am, the Son of God, that he never committed a single sin in his entire life, that he came down and took on human flesh for us, that he died on a cross to take the punishment for my sins and for yours that we deserve to bear, so that when God looks at Jesus, he sees my sin, he sees your shame, he sees our guilt, and that when in that perfect exchange of grace that Jesus' perfect righteousness is applied to us so that when we believe, God literally looks at you and sees one who fed 5,000, sees one who walked on water, sees one who committed no sin because in that great exchange of grace that is initiated as you believe in Jesus, that your sins go on him and his perfect righteousness is covering us. It is not about what you do. It is about what Jesus has already done. It is not about you going up to heaven. It is not about your work and effort. It is that Jesus, the Son of God, has come down. He has done the work on your behalf. Amen. Fourth, as we think about what this means now for believers, how do I walk with Jesus on a daily basis, the daily bread? We need Jesus every day for everything, every day for everything. Look at what Jesus says in verses 30 through 33. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? You can see the foolishness in their questions. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. We know a couple things about bread, right? Bread should be eaten. Food should be eaten daily. Think of the Lord's Prayer. What does it say about this bread idea, this daily idea? Remember it says, give us this day our daily bread. Feels very much like the Department of Redundancy department, doesn't it? This day our daily bread. There's no reason to state it twice unless Jesus is trying to make perfectly clear to us that he cares about our daily needs, our daily bread. And I am talking here about physical bread, our physical needs. God cares about your emotional needs, your physical needs. God provides. God is good. So it is right for us to pray and to ask him for those things and to trust that he will give better than we can even ask to trust that he will use even the most difficult circumstances that don't taste good, that he's using them for my good as a believer. I can trust him in that. And that I can be used by God to meet other people's physical, emotional needs so that they might ultimately meet Jesus who meets spiritual needs. I'm so thankful again this year for so many of you who are helping be a part of our Christmas gift outreach this year to support families in four of our school partner schools who just need a little help with Christmas. And in so doing, in meeting a physical and an emotional need, we pray that God might use it to ultimately speak a spiritual need and a spiritual reality that with this physical bread, they might also come to know the bread of life. God cares. Jesus cares. But at the same time, Jesus clearly is teaching us that spiritual bread is what we need the most. So we come to him daily for spiritual needs as well. Jesus is teaching us don't let the love of stuff, whatever that stuff may be, cloud you from the love of Jesus himself. You know, the entire story of Old Testament Israel, even with the manna, is that they became so enamored with the physical stuff and the physical bread that they ultimately forgot about and rejected their spiritual need for God, and we are reminded to not make the same mistake. Good things are good things. All good things come from God, but don't let good things become the most important things. That is where we err. Let your hunger ultimately be for the bread of life. Because here's what we know, not only do we need bread every day, but bread as a symbol of food, it grows us, it strengthens us, it nourishes us for what we are called to go out and do. And as I think about the church, and I'm speaking about the American church in particular, of which we are all generally a part of, in many ways, the American church, guys, is weak, is hungry, is frail, is anemic, is passive. Whether that be some of our churches that struggle with legalism and moralism or the opposite, churches that struggle with license and and with relativism and everything's okay. Whether that be an easy believism where there is no discipleship and there is no growth. Whether that be the prosperity gospel of name it and claim it and it will automatically be yours, which we know is not true. Whether that be that our church is afraid to be countercultural because we're afraid that we might offend with the gospel. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is offensive to those who do not believe. 
whether it is that we want a social gospel rather than a full and complete biblical gospel, whether it is that we want a Savior but we don't necessarily want a Lord, whether it's one that we view Christmas as an ode to Santa rather than recognizing that ultimately above all else it is 100% worship of the great I am who has come to earth to save us. The reason, guys, for our failures as a church is because we don't feed on Jesus, the bread of life, who alone can make us grow. We've got to stay tied to the vine. We've got to eat from the bread of life. And in eating from the bread of life, we grow. We grow in understanding that salvation is 100% God's effort and 0% my abilities. We grow in taking times to pray because we want to talk to God in prayer. We grow as we read and listen and study and share with one another God's word. We grow as we are in biblical community together, sharpening one another, encouraging and praying for one another. We grow when we step out of our comforts and we begin to serve within the church and outside the four walls of the church. And we grow when we begin to understand that the church is a family and that there is always room for one more and two more and three more. We grow as we eat from the Word of God as believers. And that brings us fifth and finally to the true bread. Let us end by remembering, receive Jesus, the true bread, and never go hungry. Jesus concludes this time of teaching in verses 34 and 35. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We know that bread is necessary for life. In Jesus' day, bread was the staple food. So many who did not have bread would die. Jesus is telling us clearly, you need me and you can't live without me. Eternal life is in me and eternal life begins in me when you believe. And bread is for everyone. You know, in the Old Testament, they promised him when they said the true bread would come from heaven, the true bread that satisfies. Another prophecy in the Old Testament, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, written 400 years before Jesus comes to earth. And it says this, Out of you, O little town of Bethlehem, will come one who will be ruler of all Israel, one who is from ancient of days. You know what Bethlehem means? The house of bread. The house of bread. 400 years beforehand, we're being told who is coming and we're being told what he is going to do. Jesus is bread. But he's not just bread for me. He's not just bread for this church. He's bread for every tribe, every tongue, every nation. He's bread for rich and poor. He's bread for every race on the planet. He is bread for men and women and boys and girls. He is bread for everyone. He's so much such that there is no sin that anyone can commit that Jesus cannot forgive it. And so would you even today, whether you have believed in him or today might be the day that you come to him, would you lean into and trust and eat of Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Let's pray together.